following is a presentation of the Retro Network. Do you remember renting movies from a local video store? The perfect video store. Welcome to Blockbuster Video. Is popping up all over the country. Do you remember owning membership cards, dealing with late fees, and driving to several stores for the latest release? Right now, rent Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom and Cobra for just a dollar a day each. Then sit back and listen to the stories of the men and women who were on the front lines of video stores in their heyday. Friendly people, fast computerized checkout, free membership, and all our rentals are for three days, two nights. This is Rental Return, Tales from the Video Store. Hi, my name's Joe Corey. I worked at the Video Plaza on Kildare Farms Road in Cary, North Carolina, next to Raleigh, North Carolina. And I lasted there somewhere between 1993 and 1994. Hey guys, thanks for having me on the show. This is Brian. I am here to talk about my memories of uh, working at a place called Hollywood Video in a suburb of the Boston area from about 1998 to 2000. Hey, this is Matthew Corey. I worked at the Video Bar in Cary, North Carolina back in uh, the summer of 1993 and 94. Hi, my name is Mark DeWitt from Holland, Michigan. I was a operator for 10 Blockbuster stores from 1989 to 1992. My name is Colin Fitzpatrick. I worked at the Mission Viejo, California location of Blockbuster Video in 2003. My name is W. Axel Foley, also known as Bill or Billy Foley, and I worked at the greatest video store ever in existence, World of Video at 51 Greenwich Avenue in Manhattan from 2001 until 2007. Hey, this is William Lanham, and uh, I worked at Blockbuster from 2005 to 2009 in Jacksonville, Florida. Hi, I'm Bob O'Rourke. I worked at Premier Video in Clinton, New Jersey and Princeton, New Jersey from 2000 to 2007. I'm Brandon Myers and I worked at Blockbuster Video in Millington, Tennessee from February 2001 to the end of 2002. My name is Alan Smith. I'm in Madison, Tennessee. I worked for Movie Gallery from May of 1998 until May of 1999. Season 2, Episode 6. Pushing stop. Do you have any memories of when the formats began to change from VHS? So when I started Blockbuster, we had a super small DVD section of maybe 20, 25 titles. They weren't included on the wall with the new releases. They kind of had their own section sort of towards the front of the store, kind of near the video games. So they were treated as a, like kind of a special attraction. I had really gotten into DVDs when they first came out. I was one of those insane people that spent, you know, like $800 on a DVD player and, and, and was spending all my free time buying movies. So even renting there prior and when I worked there, I was really bummed that we didn't have more DVDs because there wasn't much on there I didn't already own or would want to see. And so I actually distinctly remember when the district manager came by, I chatted with him about it and I was like, look, Alan, this is the future. DVD is going to be the main thing. We need to order more. We need more new releases. We need this. And I remember him looking at me and he's like, kid, you weren't here for Laserdisc. We're not investing in this. <laughs> I was just like, all right, I guess that's all I can say. And of course, um, six or eight months later, you know, DVDs had started, you know, growing. And eventually, we, you know, they did dominate the store, or at least when I left it, it was still hybrid, but they, we were getting a lot more DVDs than the, the small 20 section. They were on the new release wall, and we were selling them quite often as well. I remember, okay, so the, the layout of the Clinton store. We had two doors. We had the, the front door, which again had that hallway kind of into the store, and the back door, which was basically you'd come in the back door and you're kind of like in the area where the original video games were, like the Nintendo 64 games were there on the wall to the right. And then to the left, um, I think were some more video games and the copier. We had a, a photocopier that we would charge 10 cents to make photocopies, and people would come in and use that all the time. But when we started 
to get DVDs, I can remember when there was literally like 10 titles that we had on that, that wall right to the right when you would come in from the back door. So this was like literally 2000, early 2001 probably. And in the blink of an eye, boom, it was everywhere. And we moved everything. We had the, the new release section got rearranged and we had DVDs in there and the VHS started to kind of dwindle with the new releases. But it, it, it was definitely a, a huge turning point. And the other big turning point with DVDs was obviously Netflix. At the time, the way I remember it was Netflix was a mail order service. And we got into the mail order business too to try to compete with that. Oh. That was frustrating because we would get stuff back broken. <laughs> you know, because we would put them in these sleeves. We'd, we'd get these these sleeves. And it, was, it wasn't Netflix, but it was sort of like the the independent version of Netflix, I guess you could say. And and it did very well for us. But again, we would get the, the discs back sometimes scratched up or broken if we ever got them back at all. And I would take it personally as, as a movie fan because I would know what kind of stuff is out of print. I'm like, oh man, you don't want to send that out. You don't want to do that. And of course, we'd get it back and it was broken. It's like, oh dude, that, that DVD is out of print. We can't get it anymore. You know, or it's going to be really, really expensive to replace. And we had a, a disc cleaner as well that we would try to buff out the scratches. And I think for the most part, it worked. You know, I would I would sit back there in the in the in the, in the break room at the Princeton store, trying to buff these scratches out of some of these discs, and it just it was a nightmare. People wanted DVDs. Like I, it was not like I remember some people had harder times transitioning because you know they had huge collections of VHS tapes. But yeah, like I remember people wanted that that DVD quality. It was kind of the first big step up. So I remember a lot of people, you know, going out of their way to get their DVD players and things like that. And if if you had a PlayStation Two, you had a DVD player. So you know, like everyone having a DVD player became a lot more common. So a lot more people were having more access to them. So yes, they were a lot more sought after, a lot more desired. We'd run out of DVDs, DVD versions of a film faster. We would still get, like if there was a new film that came out at the time, we would still get both the DVD and the VHS version. Like the new one would still have both. So we'd still get both. They just wouldn't rent as much. And we didn't have to, I remember not having to rewind as many, you know, like it was kind of like, I just didn't have to mess with them. <laughs> I didn't have to mess with as many VHS tapes. They were kind of going by the wayside at the time. And there were there were some uh, VHS movies that weren't on DVD yet, but they were few and far between. There weren't that many of them. I saw Laserdisc trying to get some traction before I left, but I thought there's no way our customers are going to pay, uh, you know, $1,000 for this silly machine and you'd have to have a ginormous screen to benefit from it. We just didn't see that coming yet. What's interesting is after I left Blockbuster, I had a, I had a career with two publishers and the rule within publishing was always content is king. So it didn't matter the medium by which you deliver the content. It was you know, always, what are you gonna provide that adds value to the customer? So I watched this evolution with Blockbuster, you know, morphing from VHS to DVD, uh, even so into Blu-ray and all of that. And when I heard that they had the opportunity to buy Netflix, and I thought, you guys are fools. You had a gold mine because people hated returning the videos. So Netflix had it figured out that you just put the, you know, the silly disc in the mail and it goes bye-bye. And, you know, they you find out a day later that they actually received it. And I could see that they were morphing into the streaming market which I thought that was always gonna be the best consumer experience. So they blew their brand um, and they blew the fan experience. Cause I still think that people wanted to go to the store and, and actually see the titles and peruse them and get to know them a little bit. I do have some memories of the DVDs went into the store. It was a small section that grew and grew and grew. I feel like it was around the rush hour era, you know, because that's, that's, that's one movie that got really, really huge all of a sudden. And I feel like around that time is when we started pushing for DVDs as well. And we had to, uh, to have a different uh, plastic container that protected them with a special opener. And that was something we had to learn as well. But the DVDs, we had to kind of explain to customers, you know, if they didn't have a DVD player, you know, what to do with it and all that kind of stuff. Uh, we found a lot of our older customers started losing interest once DVDs became more predominant because once the VHS tapes sort of went out of fashion, 
and they were around for a while they stuck around you know but I feel like a lot of our senior customers really still enjoyed movies as long as it was on tape because it was like a machine you know when you're putting the tape in, in, the, in the VCR it's like a machine it's a really it's a tactile thing once you're putting a DVD into a DVD player it's much more soft keys and going to menus and it's a slightly different thought process going into it if you're a different age it might be easier but I think a lot of our older customers stopped visiting at that time because they just they couldn't keep up and that was a shame because a lot of the folks still like movies and they still rented VHS tapes but they just didn't keep up with any of the newer stuff it was almost too far beyond them and that's a generalization but that was just my opinion and and also that's carried on into I started working in the media field and uh, taking film classes at college and you know like currently I, I work currently in the media field and I still think that's true is that folks who, uh, who really stopped with that VHS era they just never continued along with the DVDs they, it was just the last time they could really enjoy tapes and renting stuff like that and once dvds took over they just they couldn't uh and l blu-rays they, they couldn't keep up with it which is which is a shame when i left movie gallery in may of 99 i had had a lot of people come in asking if we were going to start carrying dvds because that was really when they they had become um they had hit the consumer market pretty hard and I remember at the time because we had all seen Laserdisc and what happened there, you know. And I was always kind of like, I don't know, maybe some places will carry them, but we, you know, I, I doubt we ever will because, and I didn't, because I, I honestly did not know that much about them at the time. I wound up leaving there shortly in that time frame, and that store closed in November of that year. So they never, that's that particular store never actually made the the transition over to dvd it stayed vhs all the way up to the end but when i left there i wound up going and working for cd warehouse and i was there for two years and of course you know that was at a time when music was you know that was you're looking at you know your your backstreet boys and your britney spears and i say like you know music was selling like gangbusters you know you couldn't it was a license to print money well we were also carrying dvd used dvds and so that was my first was buying and selling used DVDs was my first real encounter with that kind of stuff. And it was shortly thereafter that I wound up buying a DVD player and my collection grew like you wouldn't believe. But yeah, so I never had to deal with DVDs in the store so much. Now I saw them like I did see Blockbuster and Hollywood and different places like, you know, that kind of stuff switch over to it. And then that drove VHS completely out. I remember that we used to always say that, like, Blockbuster was always behind in the times. Like, Netflix came out, you know, like, with the, this was before Netflix was even streaming. It was just, you know, rent the movies through the mail. And we were like, Blockbuster started doing that, you know, eventually. And then Redbox came along. Well, Blockbuster uh, got their own for a little while, got their own kiosk like uh, Redbox. So, like, they were always behind on this, so they were always second. You know, and, and then by that time, you know, it was in first Netflix where they've already dominated. So, you know, like, Blockbuster was just, you know, behind. And um, I remember, like, we used to have, like, our CEO was, like, this guy named Jim Keyes at the time, who used to run 7-Eleven, and then he came to run Blockbuster. And we oh. would have, like, these videos. We'd have these videos, like, we would watch, like, daily videos, and he'd come on, like, on the computer, like, they'd email them to us for, like, employees, telling us, like, the state of the company. And he'd always be like, don't give up, you know, we are still uh, making profit, you know, like the, the writing was on the wall, you know, like we were going down, <laughs> but he was like, you know, like desperate, like don't give up. I was there when Blu-ray first came out. So we definitely had transitioned to DVDs, of course, everybody had DVDs. Some people still had VHS. I still had VHS, I still have a VHS but towards the tail end of when I was working there, Blu-rays and Netflix, you know? So the question was, are we gonna transition our whole catalog to Blu-ray? Mitch was like, no, we're not gonna do that. We'll get some new Blu-rays as they come in, you know what I mean? We'll mix them in. But by that time, the writing was on the wall, right? People could kind of see that bandwidth speeds were going up computer processing was going up, phones, iPhone, you know what I mean? So quite frankly, for pretty much most of the time I was working at World of Video, I knew that it probably wasn't gonna last. There was a guy, Rich, who worked there. I can't believe I haven't mentioned Rich yet. I apologize. Um, fantastic dude. And again, him too, total OCD. 
librarian style. Um, we had a bit of a plan and he had more, more of a plan. And if what I had done later in my life, which is teach editing and film and video, and I ran a public access television station in Durham, North Carolina, and I worked there as the production services coordinator for eight years and taught classes. I've taught hundreds of people how to edit and, and shoot video and write screenplays. If I had known back then that I really loved teaching, I would have done it. But our plan was to turn the store into like a film co-op and to rent things, but then close and make the other half of the store into like a learning annex type of joint and do film classes. Rich was right. He, he, I think that if I had had, I guess if I had thought about it more or if that had been my focus, maybe if I had met my wife earlier, I would have really tried to do that. But by that time, it probably wouldn't have worked because Mitch wanted to get out of the business and he sold the business and then it just wasn't going to happen. What are your memories of video stores closing in your area? Honestly, I wasn't too surprised and I wasn't really upset at the time. I was big into collecting DVDs, so I was to the point where I bought all of my movies. It was it was very rare for me to rent anything. Um, if I wanted to see something, I, you know, every Tuesday I was at Walmart or Best Buy or wherever ordering it online and I was just buying whatever I wanted to watch. So after I left Blockbuster in late 2002, I don't think I rented maybe more than 10 movies the rest of, you know, the time the video stores were open. I just, I, I bought them. And, you know, I remember when Hollywood Video closed, that was kind of the first big one. I was just like, oh my gosh, this is actually happening. Um, because I would still frequent places like Hollywood Video and buy movies, you know, the previously viewed movies. It was a great way to find pretty decent quality you know, movies with their original boxes. And especially in Hollywood Video's case, a lot of independent film. And so when you could pay four bucks for some weird movie that, you know, I've never heard of and I can give it a shot, that was just something that was right up my alley. And so I don't think it really, really hit me until Blockbuster announced it was closing. You know, they had been closing stores and then when they were like, we're closing all the remaining stores, I made a special trip out to the closest Blockbuster I could find and I purchased 40 or $50 worth of movies and just looked at this empty shell of a store you know, and it was it was sad. I was really bummed out about it. We had in Clinton, so this was 2005 when, when that store closed, there was also a Hollywood video um, down the road, sort of near one of the big shopping centers. And I would tell people, you know, go there if you want 38 copies of the, the newest release, but if you want cool stuff, come to our store. And I would always tell people, you know, customers, like, you know, there's no way video stores are gonna go away because there's always going to be the need to talk to somebody about movies and and have that human interaction with people like we're having right now standing here in the in the video store talking in front of the new release section you know i was like there's no way that's going to go away why was i wrong <laughs> but yeah the, the 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 clinton store closed and it was bittersweet because you know the store was closing and there was a lot of memories from there um and, and i actually have uh, pictures still on my computer from the final day that we were all there um, cleaning everything out and the store's completely empty. But one of the cool things that I guess was sort of a a perk of of it closing was I got first dibs on all the horror stuff. And I had handfuls, armfuls of stuff. Um, Obviously the first one I grabbed was Dawn of the Dead. Took that. Uh, A couple of tapes that were out of print at the time. The Burning. uh, Mother's Day. um, Again, trauma. (laughs) The, The old media release of that you know, and a couple other things. And I had helped out on like a really busy day um, when things got nuts. And Kevin was just like, here, just take these tapes. Don't even pay for them. I'm like, sweet. Thank you. But um, yeah, it was like, so when that store closed and I went down to Princeton, Princeton held its own for a long time. Princeton was very, it was the, the independent, independent video store. Like we had, (laughs) we had the wacky stuff. We had people down there loved foreign stuff foreign films british bbc tv series all that stuff they loved all that sure high-minded college town yeah yeah, they could really care less about you know the new releases so as long as that stuff kept coming in it was good and i was down there from 05 until 07 when i finally 
I had to make a jump to quote unquote get a, a an adult job, you know, basically, and and try to. I was done with school already, you know. I finished school in 2006, and I still stayed at the store because I, I had that sense of honor and sense of loyalty, and I liked the people I worked with and people I worked for. But when I moved, I moved out of New Jersey in um, in 2008, and I came back to visit the store early 2008, 2009, somewhere around there, and the store was starting to close. They were starting to sell off titles, and since I happened to be there, I grabbed that copy of Dawn of the Dead as well, and so I had both of those and a couple other tapes, you know, a couple of DVDs, but unfortunately I wasn't there when, when Princeton closed its doors, and it's still sad. Shortly after I worked at Blockbuster, I moved to Los Angeles, and I was living in Hollywood for uh, a few years. And a few of the friends that I made in Hollywood worked at Blockbusters, too. Like, I remember a good friend of mine, Josh, uh, worked at Blockbuster, and he still had his benefits, and sometimes he'd hook me up once in a while. Like, he would he would use one of his free rentals to give me a, to let me borrow a movie, you know, or a game or something. And, uh, and that was really cool. And, you know, they were still kind of slowly dying out during that time. I think around, you know, between 2003 and 2006 or so, they were still around. Like, and they were just kind of starting to die out during that time. Cause I remember there were still video stores in LA. Like, there was one really close to me, walking distance. And yeah, it was like an old fashioned video store and the Asian video stores were still a thing, you know, like they, they had a bunch of the, um, you know, VHSs that you couldn't get elsewhere, like certain anime or like, you know, Asian, uh, TV series and stuff at the time, you know, you just couldn't get anywhere else. So yeah, it, they were still around, you know, like I don't exactly remember the time they, they died. Like I don't remember the death day of when, like, <laughs> like I just could not, I just could not find a video store when I wanted to. And I think that's exactly it is, is everyone had transitioned so much to like Netflix and to, you know, eventually digital media that some of us didn't, didn't even notice, you know, like we just kind of slowly transitioned out. And then by the time we were curious about it, it was like, oh yeah, video stores are gone. Like they're not, they're not out anymore. I was one of those people who bought up stuff. Um, I would go in, I, I know carbonated when they were going out of business, I would sneak in and try to get some of the lesser known titles that I figured we're never going to get printed again. Except it was by, by then it was DVD. So, you know, you had to be careful to make sure nobody used it as a beer coaster. Um, I remember, remember Vizart's going out of business and that was kind of sad. That was out in Chapel Hill. Um, I remember Block... Oh, I got to tell you the story. Okay, so Blockbuster, I got into a fight with the CEO of Blockbuster. Oh, let's hear this. Because <laughs> uh, I said, in New somehow I ended up being interviewed by Newsweek Online. I think it was Newsweek Online, yeah. And it was back when Blockbuster was trying to get into the mailing out thing with Netflix. You know, order, you know, get right, my mail. Yeah. And they had their deal where I could order my three discs at a time. But instead of putting them in the mail directly and getting the next things off my queue, I could go to the nearby Blockbuster, give them the three discs, grab three titles off the shelf, and then when those they would mail the discs in, and Blockbuster would mail me another three. And it was also at the time that Blockbuster had the no, you know, they got rid of their no late fees business. Right. So you could hang on to a disc for like two weeks. And I basically said, I am Blockbuster's worst customer. Because I've got this pile of discs in front of me, and I'm paying, what was it, nine ninety five or something a month? And I'm like, there's no way they're making money off me. Because I'm denying them so much income, because I'm able to walk into that store and walk out with three brand new titles that they should be renting, and keep it for, you know, you figure, like, $20 worth of rentals. You know, I'm, I'm holding on to this. And then on top of it, they've got to pay postage to and from my house for these discs. So that's a, that's a dollar a pop. And I'm just like, there's no way they're losing money. And the CEO at the next, uh, you know, the ne what is it, the earnings call, called me a liar. Oh no, he doesn't understand. We were making money off him, as we're making money off everybody. Of course, what happens to Blockbuster because of this? They went bankrupt, right? They went down in flames. And so it's pretty funny. I got my revenge on this guy because there's no more Blockbuster in my neighborhood. 
So, you know, it was kind of sad in one way because there's no Blockbuster. But honestly, Blockbuster was like my place of last resort. I was a Blockbuster member for many years. And our last store down the street closed, I want to say, 11 years ago. Um, and there was a sense of melancholy because it's like having a part of your childhood or something ripped away. Because there's a sense of innocence when you go to a video store. Just as if you were to go to movies, you know, you remember the movie theater that you saw Star Wars the first time or, or you know, whatever it was the epic film that really struck you. And I thought, okay, that's an end of an era. It was sad to see a lot of the rental stores go. The owner that owned the, the video bar when I worked there, I think he had, they sold the franchise around 2000. So he, he did really well. He got out right before DVD was really taking over and VHS was dying out. And it was just sad to see some of these stores go. And occasionally you'd show up when they were having the liquidation sale. And if there was uh, a couple of movies here and there, you'd buy them. And, you know, we saw the same thing when Circuit City was going under. I got a great deal on some of the movies that were on their uh, their sale rack. But, you know, there was just these places where you would congregate. People would come together and you'd look around and, and walk through the aisles. And it's it's kind of similar to skimming the uh, Netflix menu now. But, you know, it's not the same. You're not out seeing other people around the neighborhood or people you went to school with and saying hi. And then at the end of the day, I'll, I'll sit there and flip through the Netflix menu for 20 minutes and think, oh, that'd be neat to watch. And, but, and then at the end of it, I'm just tired. I'm like, yeah, I'll just go to bed. <laughs> I remember feeling sad once I found that that location was closing, and even more so with with all the other ones following suit, you know, between Blockbuster and everything else, too. And I had visited Blockbuster. I haven't mentioned Blockbuster a lot in this interview, but part of me disliked Blockbuster when I worked at Hollywood because they were our competitor. And people would always compare us to them both favorably and unfavorably. So, you know, they would say, well, Blockbuster has this tape. And you almost want to say, well the go to blockbuster kind of thing you know like we're here we can offer x y and z with the, with the longer rentals and different kind of fee structure this and that you know and much more like at least in my area we felt that we were much more about movie fans and the, and the love of film rather than just renting stuff out you know but so a lot of us who worked at hollywood video we may have been former blockbuster employees and, or and our customers were former blockbuster customers so that kind of thing you know i remember in a way they were sort of like our are opposite, <laughs> you know. You know, so when people talk about the nostalgia of Blockbuster, I sometimes don't always buy into that. The nostalgia of radio stores, yes, definitely. But you know, when you see Blockbuster, the love of it everywhere, you know, sometimes I laugh to myself because I'm like, oh, well, you know, there's a lot of mistakes that all the video stores made during that era, you know, and and why they went out of business, and, and obviously the the landscape totally changed, but you know, they didn't keep up as well. Uh, so that was just something that I always kind of recalled about that time. Um, but it was still bittersweet because I would still visit and would want to buy uh, movies and rent games and stuff like that. And eventually it just became, well, looks like they're all closing. So when can I visit to make sure I get some good deals on previously viewed merchandise, that kind of thing. So like I said, it was bittersweet. It was sad. I think the last blockbuster in my area closed around 2010, maybe 2012, the latest. And I think there is, that's still one left in, in the country, but you know, it, it's, you know, the idea of video stores closing is what makes me sad more than a specific, you know, a, a franchise, you know. My store closed in November, or the store that I worked at closed in November of 99. Uh, really, I come to find out part of the reason that I left, and this is all going to tie in here. Uh, part of the reason I left is because right, like maybe a month before I left there, this company-wide call went out from the the headquarters because there had been an article that was written i think it was in forbes about movie gallery being denied for a loan or something like that like a, a large loan they were trying to get to open new stores or something you know and this phone call went out and it was complete damage control you know of oh no we're fine you know blah 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 blah, blah. and you know that kind of stuff and it's one of those things that you had to remember Blockbuster and Hollywood Video were fighting for number one for years. And then everybody else was a distant third. Like, everybody else was a distant third. And, you know, and fighting out for that, for that place. And so, as things went on, my store had closed. And then, um, you know, Hollywood Video was the next one that closed, which was in, what, 07? Well, what happened, well, the funny thing about it, Movie Gallery wound up buying Hollywood Video. Wow. Ho yes. Hollywood Video was in a 
crap load of debt, like a ton of debt. They were getting ready to like have to file bankruptcy. And Movie Gallery, seeing their seeing their chance to get up with the big leagues, bought them in the um, the bankruptcy auction. But they also assumed all those hundreds of million millions, and it was I think it was like two hundred million dollars in debt or something like that. And it ultimately wound up sinking both of them. So that you get rid of it, and then of course Blockbuster hung on for a while after that. Um, I remember when my local Blockbuster closed; it was in 2011, because I was working at another store just down the street from it, and I'd gotten to know that manager. And I remember him walking in one day because it was another; it was kind of like a CD where it was a place called Buybacks that I worked at. And it was got doing used media, you know. And I remember the manager from from Blockbuster walking in with a big stack. <laughs> of like DVDs and Blu-rays. And I'm like, hey, what's all this? He's like, well, they're closing my store next week. I'm like, okay. And in my mind, I'm going, am I buying stolen stuff here? <laughs> like, <Yeah. it's> like, <laughs> of course, every transaction we had, I'm like, okay, how much of this is stolen and, you know, type stuff. But so it was one of those things where it, it <laughs> I remember very vividly when, uh, when the blockbuster closed. We still had a couple of mom and pop places that hung on for a, a while around here. The last of them closed a couple of years ago. And I, I really hate to see that because I have so many great memories of going into the different stores over the years, you know, whether it was the video place or whether it was Blockbuster or whether it was Hollywood. And, you know, just kind of walking up and down the aisles and finding new movies or asking the uh, the sales associates if, you know, they have any good recommendations. And I, I really feel like there's a part of not just pop culture, but Americana that's gone now. Uh, not having those stores around, you know, I would love to go in and check out the, uh, the the last remaining blockbuster up in Oregon. Matter of fact, a couple of years ago, whenever it was finally announced that they were the last one, uh, me and my girlfriend at the time were talking about, you know, trying to get up there, but we just never had a chance. And uh, but I, I really do. I, I miss going and. I mean, hell, I, right, as of right now, I mean, I would probably get a part-time job working <laughs> at another video store just to, to kind of be around that. You know, again, I I, I met so many people, and, and I, I saw tons of movies and learned a lot about filmmaking itself, you know, just from from being in those – being in that atmosphere and around people who loved that kind of stuff. Because, you know, we all – every video store has someone who is a – you know, uh, an aspiring filmmaker uh, that works there. You know, they want to be the next Quentin Tarantino or whatever at the time. And uh, so that was always a lot of fun, um, having those people come in and stand and talk, and, and, you know, about not just the movies themselves, but how they were made and behind-the-scenes stuff. And again, like I said, that was at a time before the Internet. So it wasn't just, a, oh, I wonder, you know, I go on YouTube and watch a video about, you know, the, the making of this or whatever. It's like you really had to... You know, you had to, to, to dive in. You had to go and read, you know, magazines and, and you know, and, and go to the library and check out books or, or, you know, take film classes or this or that or whatever it was. And a lot of that knowledge came from working in a video store. You would just you would learn all this stuff from the people around you and also just from absorbing it from, you know, what you were doing. Almost all the, the uh, mom and pop stores were gone by that time. By 2009, 2008, 2009, my last couple of years, yeah, they, they were all gone and. And like we, they started like we started selling things like headphones and like you know books and things that like nobody comes to Blockbuster for like yeah I'm going to Blockbuster to pick up some light bulbs you know <laughs> like, like, like like nobody you know coming for stuff like this I'm like why are you selling all this merchandise that nobody's gonna buy you know? and it was expensive. <laughs> yeah, just sad man, you know. But it's not it has it has to happen right like this is the way things go. Um, I stopped working at World of Video because I started teaching at MLK High School in Manhattan. I taught video there for two years. It was a charter school, so I didn't have to have my teaching certificate. <laughs> but I taught there, I taught high school for two years there. And, you know, like I said, the writing was on the wall way before that. So the store was not doing that great. It had to become smaller and smaller and smaller they rented a smaller place they cut it in half then in a quarter and it had changed to um linda who took over the store a wonderful woman but i don't think as maybe not as 
dedicated to the love because I think she too wanted to get out of it at a certain point. Um, you can't blame people from wanting to move on with their lives. So the store ended up closing, but just seeing video stores close is sad. But for me, the discussion moves to the internet. It moves to things like this podcasts, right? YouTube, Instagram, whatever. Video store for me was not about a place to get a movie. It was about a place to come and talk to people about movies and TV, right? And TV too, you know, people, when they talk about video stores, they always say movies, movies, movies. TV is a big part of video stores too. And it's a big part of the community. It's just, I mean, now look, you have, right? Like what's the difference between what has the theater become? <laughs> people complain about video stores. What's the theater? Yeah. It's a Disney injection system. You know what I'm saying? And look at what they're learning too. Why should they spend $200 million in marketing a movie when they can put it on Disney Plus with no marketing budget and it'll please their shareholders just as much, right? So, I mean, the world changes, but the conversation continues. I miss it, of course I do. I have a video store up my street. I live in Milwaukee, Oregon. They sell freaking coffee. They're nice people, but I went in there and I asked them a month ago, Hey, are you guys ever going to get Snake Eyes, that new stupid G.I. Joe movie? Because I don't want to rent it from Amazon. I'd rather rent it from you. And the dude was like, look, man, the pandemic killed us. They're not even telling us what movies are coming out anymore. So what are you going to do? What do you miss most about working in and visiting a video store? I mean, everything. You know, people talk about the smell nowadays. Um, working there, I'm, I'm a very organized person. So working at a video store is great. It, it, it's all about alphabetization and making things neat and organized. And all day long, you get to chat about movies and watch movies for free. And, you know, the connections and the people I met, you know, so much of my personality was developed in those couple years working at Blockbuster, I mean, in my interests. And I was able to share them with people, like my, my friend Matt, that I'm still friends with. Um, he came from a very private school, sheltered life, and I had introduced him to all these weird independent films, you know, the Kevin Smiths and the Tarantinos and Robert Rodriguez, and, you know, it, it helped shape his movie taste. And, you know, having that effect on each other, it was just so great. And I, I, I'll be honest, I miss it almost every day. Like occasionally I'll have dreams about going to a video store, working in a video store, and they're always my favorite dreams. Like it's, it's the one thing in my 37 years on this earth that has gone away that I truly, truly miss. As much as I look back on nostalgia, and I'll, I'll say this with all honesty, like there is no job I miss more than working at Blockbuster nowadays. Like it was a fantastic growing up experience for me. It's something I have really no big complaints about. But as a 17, 18 year old kid who was making 6.15 an hour or whatever it was, I think I started at 5.35. So um, maybe I was making $7 an hour. It just wasn't a lot of money. And as much as I had fun with you know my friends there, there was a lot of turnover. And I guess like most retail type of jobs, there was a lot of drama. There was a lot of people getting mad, especially I'd say the older people who are managers, you know, a lot of people leaving or kind of being really negative and an opportunity had come up where I could work full time in the IT field, which was going to pay me, you know, $11 an hour starting off. And I was able to go to school because I would be off nights because it was going to be like an eight to four type of situation. And I just jumped at it. Now, looking at hindsight, I regret it. That job was not <laughs> not worth it, and neither was my degree. So I wish I would have spent more time at Blockbuster. And even worse, uh, when I moved to North Carolina, I had a hard time finding a job at one point, and I actually had applied at a local Blockbuster, and they, they were going to call me in for an interview, and I accepted a job at GameStop instead. And obviously, that I couldn't continue to work at Blockbuster since they don't exist, but I really do wish I would have spent more time because it was the perfect environment for me. Oh, I mean, just just being able to physically pick up a tape, and, and I say tape because VHS all the way, you know, and, and just looking at the, the box art and then being, whoa, this looks incredible. Or looking at the back of it and, and reading and knowing about the movie, even though I haven't seen the movie, like I could tell customers at both stores about 
such and such movie because I remember reading the back of it and I knew who was in it and that sort of thing. But just the the it's like going to a library. You know, you go in and you have all these things literally at your fingertips. Not so much you can just pull it up and flick it with your thumb or you know hit it with your remote and scroll through on you know whatever device you're streaming on. That to me. It just, it's its night and day. It's its really just being able to physically hold something in your hands and look at it and take it home. And that act of, it, it felt like you were a part of something by taking something home and watching it and the whole ritual of it. You know, it, all that's gone by clicking, you know, play on, on a streaming device, you know? Honestly, it was a very comfortable job. It felt easy, even as a teenager, you know, but I, I, I was, at the time, I was a former actor and fresh out of, like, drama class and, and taking, like, a little film class and studying storytelling and film and watching lots of movies and stuff. So I was fresh out of it and, like, still, like, super into, like, that world and everything. So it was it was really comfortable atmosphere for me. Like, and, and especially as an actor at the time, it was my my world, you know? It was just kind of the extension of the world that I was a part of already. So it just was an, a, an easy environment for me to be in, both in terms of, like, movies, you know, uh, film entertainment, as well as video games, which I love so much. I love video games to death. And the video store was the way I played a lot of my, or got started on a lot of my favorite series. I have one here. I live in Raleigh, and wow. there's an Alamo, there was an Alamo, the Alamo Draft House has, um, let me see, what's it called? The Video Vortex. It's in their lobby. And it used to be, I think it was out in San Francisco. They bought up this guy's, you know, store and basically moved him here and stuck him in the lobby. And the coolest part is, because it's a pretty, it's a pretty nice collection. I mean, I've got a decent enough collection. But the deal is that I think if, if you rent two discs, two or three discs, you don't have to pay. And you've got a week to bring them back. Wow. So it's like basically a lending library of, of DVDs. And so it's fun because I take my kid with me. I've got my daughter, Josie's like 12 and now. But we would, and, and you know, we go over there and it's like, well, pick out something you like. You know, because it's free. <laughs> it's like, you know, and it's pretty, as I said, it's a pretty extensive, you know, collection. I've actually taken stuff and dropped them off. Uh, you know, donated some, you know, stuff I don't need in. But it is, unfortunately, because of the, the, the coronavirus and stuff, it hasn't been open since, geez, two Marches ago or Aprils, I think. So it's kind of sad. It just, it, I, I drive by there occasionally to see if they've reopened it or not. But they have like, you know, uh, black dubatine or whatever cloth over all the boxes so nobody can think they're still, you know, able to rent stuff at the moment. But I mean, I miss, you know, you, and it's a good feeling to poke around because you know, streaming, streaming is just, you know, it's horrifying because no matter what you want, I swear you immediately find out it's not on one of the services you want. If you're lucky, they, they want like five bucks to rent it. And if you're unlucky, you just can't find it, period, legally. And, and, and you're like, well, do I do I want a chance of, you know, finding it illegally I, you know, and ruin my computer? I don't know. But, you know, so I, I, I enjoy, I don't enjoy streaming as much as I enjoy physical media, you know, because there's, there's a bit more control and stuff. I can watch what I need and I have it in my set. I don't, it's not the whim of, oh, it's not on Netflix anymore. I do miss some of the regular customers who, uh, it's interesting in the world I work in today, which is philanthropy. Um, some of those customers are also donors to the college I work at. So it's really fascinating to see that, that come around. Yeah, but I, I miss the whole concept of selling entertainment, that we're going to make somebody's night or day a little better through this piece of plastic. Being able to peruse the aisles, pick stuff up, put stuff down, be able to, you know, really hold it in your hand. Sometimes you hold two different movies in your hand and you really have to, you got to just pick one and you kind of weigh your options. And the fact that it's a physical media in your hand uh, is, is something that won't be replaced by the digital. As well as, despite the fact that digital is so easy and so popular with everything, I think that a lot of people of my generation who are, are like retro gamers or they love old films, it's they have this love for the physical, uh, physical media. Despite that, like my buddy, he he has all the streaming apps you could imagine, but he won't watch them. <laughs> he'll go back, he'll pick the movie off of his shelf and he'll pop that in. Even though it's easier to press three buttons and press play on your Netflix app, on your Amazon Prime, 
instead he's going to his Criterion collection, he's going to his Blu-ray, he's popping that in, even though it takes a longer, but it's, he found it as a more enjoyable process, and I, and I agree with that, you know, I still have my collection of DVDs and tapes, you know, and, and looking at them, I'm like, oh, I wonder how much longer this is going to be a thing, but... You know, I still enjoy having that physical. And some of my other buddies say, well, when it's on streaming and digital, they can remove that at any time. You don't really own own that. It can go away. And, uh, and the rights can be a problem legally sometimes, and those go away forever, and you never see them again. So that's why I think there's just been this boom in, in physical media, at least with people of my, of my ilk, you know? Yeah, you know, I miss, like, just having fun and like being able to go to work and like I'm working and I may you know I'm at work and watching movies while I work like especially like if it wasn't busy at all you know nobody's in the store so like we'd have sometimes nobody walk in the store for like 30 minutes <laughs> so like we're just sitting there watching movies we're getting paid to watch movies you know <laughs> and uh I miss going at, you know as a kid going Friday nights you know and movies and and getting like having like the deals like like our little mom and pop video stores would have like you know five movies for five dollars for five days and so like you know i'd go pick out like you know star wars empire strikes back horror movies you know like i'd have like empire strikes back TV's big adventure and like nightmare on elm street four <laughs> you know it, it was a great time you know video stores and i do miss it even though i do love streaming I'm a streaming uh, defender, so, you know, but I, I do have a lot of physical media still, too. Have you kept anything from your time at the video store as a, a badge of honor? Sadly, no. I, I moved so many times since then that I everything I had, I have lost. Um, I did a few years ago try to start collecting more things from Blockbuster, so I would get on eBay and buy the random, like, I found a set of those pens that I told, talked about in the pen story, <laughs> so I have a set of those. And I actually sent some to my friend. Um, I got some of the laminating sheets that we would put onto the membership cards. I bought, a, you know, when I go to thrift stores or Goodwills and such, I, if I see a Blockbuster case, a lot of times I'll pick them up. If it's a movie I like, I'll, you know, even doesn't have the original cover art, I'll buy it just to have a few of those cases around. And then more recently, which, you know, doesn't really affect when I work there, but, you know, the last Blockbuster documentary, after watching that, I visited their webpage and they sell Blockbuster merchandise. And so my wife was kind enough for, I believe, Valentine's Day. She bought me just a box of Blockbuster stuff. So I'm actually wearing my Blockbuster shirt right now. <laughs> um, I got a hat. I have a membership card, all kinds of stuff. So uh, sadly, there's actually a huge market for those things now. And it, they are priced way out of my range. Yeah. Like I kind of had this idea of having like a nice little Blockbuster shrine. Or maybe eventually, you know, in my dream world, having my own little personal video store in a basement or something. But just trying to buy simple things like signage, I mean, it costs so much. I think the only thing that would be a, a memento of that time period would be, I think I have the first, I bought the first uh, three seasons of The Simpsons on DVD when I was there. I remember those being around when I was there, and that was a big deal for me to finally get that show on DVD, as you know. I mean, I still have those, and like starting that collection was a big part of that. You know, was 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 getting started with The Simpsons. Like that was that was a big thing for me. Was starting starting my big DVD collection. You know, which again got replaced by my small, even smaller Blu-ray collection which has been replaced by my much larger digital library of virtually <laughs> Boo. everything Boo, not physical media Boo. <laughs> i'm that guy <laughs> it is probably in my parents attic at the moment it is um i or somewhere at my parents house i i don't think i put them in the attic because i knew better than that but there are odd VHS tapes lurking everywhere in my life. I still, even though I, I don't even know if my VHS player works anymore, and I, I just can't bring myself to completely throw things in the trash, you know? Not that I'm a hoarder and not that the collection's that large, but I don't, you know, like the store, we didn't have shirts or anything. You know, I, I don't even recall if I had a name tag. I probably did, but it's, and that's probably in my one of my boxes of oddities and stuff. And you know, I used to have, well, this is one of my big things I had for a while, was the uh, the stand-up head from Madonna's Who's That Girl, which I got <laughs> from another video store. That's there, and I, that unfortunately got lost when I was staying in a, I, I was in a basement apartment, and it flooded, and the water damaged it. So I feel bad that's gone. 
I do have a Heather's poster from the video release of that. I, I snagged that from a, the video bar. I mean, the thing is, I've been doing um, uh, the 80s teen flick film festival. It's like my imaginary film festival, two-week-long film festival. And, you know, a lot of it is stuff that I, I really enjoyed watching on VHS when I was back then. And so, you know, that part of the book is recounting the act of when we would sit there and have to cruise to multiple video stores trying to find odd stuff. You know, somebody would be like, this store has Russ Meyer films. Really? Let's go. You know, it's like we had no problem driving round trip an hour and a half to go rent something back then. Because, you know, we, how else are we going to see it? We're going to wait for our mom and pop store that tries to stay ultra squeaky clean to get this stuff. Or, you know, they're not going to get weird foreign films and things. So it was, you know, it was it was this odd thing. You you had to figure out which stores had the cool purchasing agents. I mean, because even sometimes, you know, and, and, and it was hard. I mean, North American Video, I remember at one point they, the rumor was somebody got kickback. They had like one copy of Room with a View. And they had seven copies of Munchie. <laughs> it was like you know, the, the rumor was that whoever the purchasing agent was, somebody was sliding a money under the table or something. But it was like, you know, room with a view was basically because we talked about turnover. I don't think you could rent it from that place for like seven months because the waiting list was that long. Wow. It was insane. But, but you could do that back then because VHS had a longer life before everything popped up on streaming and stuff. Now, you know, half the time, now you don't even have to go to the movie theater to see the movies in the movie theater. Yeah. So, and I miss, there was a weird camaraderie sometimes with your friends when you go cruising to try to locate odd videos that somebody heard a rumor that they stock at some store. So I was really fortunate to go to the Video Software Dealers Association conventions in Vegas. I went twice. So that was really cool because I got a lot of mementos there. I remember meeting the living members of The Doors, so I got all the signatures of The Doors, and obviously that movie was coming out. Um, and I think one of my most cherished sweatshirts was uh, Dead Poets Society, where it had the logo on the front and it said Carpe Diem on the back. I'm like, I love that. We had a couple of things. I had a, a little tote bag that had uh, body bags on it, which I guess was a horror film that came out uh, in the early 90s. It was one of those straight-to-cassette ones, and it was like three different little stories, I think. So I had that and used it for several years. And then I had a welcome mat from the movie Uncle Buck uh, that I wow. used to have on the floor of my old apartment when I was in college. And it was kind of silly. I, I put this on the on the carpet by our front door, and then I would get annoyed when people would wipe their feet on it. <laughs> <laughs> like, okay, maybe this wasn't a great idea. So I, I eventually moved the Uncle Buck welcome mat to uh, the front of my bedroom. But the, the coolest thing I think I ever got was a, uh, a jacket from the movie Demolition Man. And it has a San Angeles police force uh, badge sewn on it. But I, I still have it in my closet and it, it still fits. I don't wear it that often obviously but uh it was really neat to have the owner i guess got it as part of uh ordering copies of the movie and he asked if i wanted it and if it fit so i tried it on it fit and he let me have it i haven't kept anything um i sort of wish i did like a badge or something like that but um you know honestly it it, it was a fun time in my life uh it was the first time i was getting a job and really meeting people that were into film as much as me at that era. And, you know, being able to rent tapes and, you know, uh, when the Sega Dreamcast came out, that kind of thing. I distinctly remember how excited folks were. Uh, $9,999 when Sega Dreamcast came out. And we were able to actually rent out the systems to people, which is so, so funny. So, I mean, that kind of thing. Like, I do wish that I had kept more from that time period. Maybe, like I said, I wish I wore that purple vest to one of our uh, senior proms. But... Uh, overall, it was, a, it was a fun experience, and uh, I think, you know, just talking about this now is almost kind of opened up some of the other memories in my mind about that, that era, even though it, looking back, it was such a short time in my life, but it was, it was such an important time. And I will leave you with this. This is something that I wanted to mention earlier, but I didn't until just now. Something that was totally crazy, some of the shenanigans we used to get into uh, at the store was we had many cardboard cutouts uh, to promote various movies and products. So we had cardboard cutouts of Star Wars, Jar Jar Binks, and we had uh, various actors and things like that that came with some of the, the product that we, we had ordered. 
one of the ones that I remember the most is from a movie. I think it was called I'll Be Home for Christmas, which is a Disney family movie about, uh, you know, Jonathan Taylor Thomas uh, and the wacky adventures he would get into uh, for this Christmas film. So well, the poster, I mean, it was kind of annoying, but they gave us a cardboard cutout to promote the film. Well, weeks after the movie came out, you know, we're working during the holidays. There was a time where no one's visiting during the holidays because we all had to work, I think, like two hours on Christmas itself. Uh, just two hours because they wanted us to be home with our families, but they still wanted us to come in. So um, I think just to keep us uh, occupied, we were just bored. We were putting on movies in the background and stuff like that. But I remember seeing that Jonathan Taylor Thomas cardboard cutout with kind of a smug face he had. I do remember that. And myself and a couple of my coworkers would jokingly flip that thing around as if it was like we were in a wrestling match. You know, WWF was really big at the time. So myself and my colleagues, we were all doing all sorts of wrestling moves to this poor cover cutout of JTT. We we're flipping him around. Uh, I remember giving him a suplex and an elbow drop off the top of the <laughs> off of the top of the rental store desk because there was no customers in the store and we were just keeping ourselves busy and that was really the time when like the inmates were running the asylum so we so I definitely remember giving a macho man elbow drop onto poor JTT who was smiling up at me with his Santa Claus hat stuff like that is what I'll always remember is the wacky shenanigans as well as being by movie lovers as, as well I might still have a name tag from the video placed around here somewhere if I looked hard enough. I'll tell you what I do carry with me, though, from working there. I worked there in during the summer of 1998, which means I was working there when Titanic hit home video. <laughs> we had these – legitimately, I, I still feel like I have PTSD from this and this is this is the one thing that I have carried from my time at the video store they had these film like these loops that we had to play in the store we couldn't play movies we had these you know had like uh, coming attractions you know and different stuff like that from about June until the movie was released on home video I don't know two or three uh, at least a couple dozen times a day they would show the video for my heart will go on only the last let's say minute of the song when she's hitting her big high note you know the big crescendo you know the you're here there's nothing to fear you know and then she goes out you know and you got this nice little you know the, the end of that video is the titanic you know sailing off into the sunset and then their voiceover came on that said titanic sailing home on video cassette september 1st pre-orders yours today i cannot hear my heart will go on without hearing that line in my head every <laughs> time <laughs> so that is the memento that i carry from working in the video store <laughs> that little spot on your brain that is it will not yeah. i swear the day i die that will go through my head <laughs> i had my membership card for a long time and i had like my little my little name tag that's in my name i had it for a while but now i, I don't have that stuff no more and I always told myself, I always wish I took more pictures, like, of us as a group, like, friends and stuff, like, because back then, like, we were on the edge of the cell phone, like, there wasn't really smartphones back then, you know, like, it was like Blackberries and stuff, and nobody had them, we couldn't afford them, so, like, we couldn't take, you know, pictures, like, instantly, so I always regret that, that we didn't, you know, do more stuff like that, that I, I wish I had more stuff from back then. I got a bunch of VHS, got a bunch of DVDs, got a couple little we used to give out these dollar off coupons that were like business cards i carry one of those in my wallet with me um what do, do you have a treasured tape is there one in particular you know this came from the store i remember it on the shelf pretty sure i have our copy of 2001 i have our copy of primer which is one of my favorite all-time films if you haven't seen primer people go out and see it Unfortunately, the director has turned out to not be such a cool dude, but it's still a great film. Um, my buddy Mike and I, we did, I still have a fair amount of video that I shot there. And we were working on a documentary about video stores. Really, he was more so working. I was working on it, but I had a kid and I was, we were living far away and he really took, it's really his project. He did a great job because what I wanted to do was make a little movie about World of Video Closing. 
I was in North Carolina. Mike did all the shooting. He did interview with Sean. We did interview with Linda. I think we got Pete a little bit. Later, he went out and did interviews with everybody. He went to Italy for his honeymoon, and he actually went to where the Kim's video store collection went to. Do you know Kim's in New York? I don't think so. And I, I, I think I've heard the name, but I don't know specifically about it. This is the thing too. That's a little thing that people don't know about. One day, if we ever get back to making that documentary, who knows, perhaps we shall. I really want to call it World of Video versus Kim. <laughs> I don't care. <laughs> because everybody always talks about Kim's. Kim's was the best video store in Manhattan. Oh, it was, oh, you know who worked there? The dude from The Ringer, Chris Ryan, worked at Kim's. And this other dude worked at Kim's. All these journalists worked at Kim's. And it was the best store. F Kim's. <laughs> so much better than that store. Kim's had so much. They did have a lot of kitschy films. They really did, okay? And they had a great selection. But if you were a film historian, and you wanted the birth, and by birth, I mean wide birth of, of all film. World of Video was the best video store that ever existed in New York City. It was way better than Kim's. And I went to Kim's, okay? I was a member. I went to Kim's all the time. The people there were assholes. <laughs> Talk to you, they, they were all NYU students. They all thought that they were cool. They all thought that they knew more than you, and they knew and I would regularly walk in there and they wouldn't know what I was talking about. A couple of times I did it on purpose because I, I just, as you can tell, I proudly stand, as the kids today say, world of video. I think it was the greatest video store that ever existed. Maybe not because some of these like Scarecrow, some of the, like they, they now what people are doing when they turn it into a library or when they turn it into a nonprofit, that's the way to go. Yeah. That's beautiful. And those stores probably are, have a better selection than World of Video. But I just felt like the Kim's V World of Video thing, which maybe only existed in my head or the head of us working at World of Video, because whenever someone came in and talked about Kim's, you could just see on our face, we'd be like, you know, I've had more famous people working there. Sam yeah. Rock did work at World of Video there. He was a delivery. I got to, that was a funny story. I, I've told this story before. He came in one night, who I should look up. One day I'm gonna look up and figure out all the people. He was with like six actors and actresses and they were all out partying. And they none of them were super famous, but they were all like Sam Rockwell, like character actor kind of people, right? You'd recognize all of them. And they came in and they were all drunk and we were working and it was like a Friday night and there weren't many people in the store. And I saw him like hanging out in the street first because we were just, I mean, it's New York. You just watch people walk, right? When no one's in the store. And I was like, they're coming in this store. I was like, I, I don't remember who I was with. It was, oh, Pete was definitely there. And I was like, hey, Pete, I'm going to remind him of when he used to deliver videos for us. And they came in and they were all joking and they were saying something. And I, and, and I would go, Sam, how you, Sam Rockwell, what's up, dude? And he was like, oh, hey, do I know you? I was like, I just wanted to say hi to my uh, former co-employee here. You used to work here, man. And his face got like a little red because he was Hollywood. <laughs> he took it so well. He laughed and he goes, bro. He was like, I did work here and I loved it. And this store is awesome. And it was like, hey, Pete, what's up, man? And and it was just, it kind of, it was, it was pretty funny. But uh, that was actually probably the most famous person who worked there. But Kim's gets all the attention because famous people work there. But like I said, I mean, you could, I loved working at World of Video. Yeah. Part of working there, it was awesome. And I think it was important because I'm a person who, if you're gonna sweep the floor, do your best, right? Yeah. Get into it, enjoy it, experience it. And the fact I had such a bad experience at Blockbuster, that it turned me off, you know? And then when I finally did go back to working at a video store and say, okay, I'm gonna do it. Like I said, I could not have asked 
maybe if you had been working alongside Tarantino when he was working at a video store, right? that would have maybe been my only other dream scenario, but it was an amazing experience. I loved everybody I worked with. The customers were beautiful people. They welcomed me into their homes. I became very close friends with many of them. I mean, it was just a really wonderful experience. And any opportunity I get to talk about the legend of World of Video, I will. Rental Return is created by Adam Pope and produced by Jason Gross in association with The Retro Network. Connect with our Season 2 video heroes on social media by finding the links in today's show notes. Also follow TRN Social on Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram to see pictures of our video heroes in action back in the day. If you are a former video store employee and want to chronicle your experience for an upcoming season of Rental Return, Connect with Adam Pope on Twitter at Hoju Coolander or email him at hojukulander at gmail.com. Links also provided in today's show notes. Avoid late fees by subscribing to Rental Return in your favorite podcast app. And don't forget to share your membership with a friend or family member. Discover more retro podcasts by visiting theretronetwork.com forward slash podcasts. Join us next time for another episode of Rental Return. Tales from the Video Store. This has been a presentation of the Retro Network.